reading this morning comes from the book of Judges, chapter 16, verses 1 to 31. One day, Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here, so they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn, we will kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, You have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, If anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then, with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah then said to Samson, All this time you have been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, If you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with the pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So, while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric and tightened it with a pin. Again she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines. Come back once more, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair, and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. He did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they sent, set him to grinding grain in the prison. But 
the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to celebrate, saying, Our god has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their god, saying, Our god has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more, and let me, with one blow, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other, Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines, and then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus, he killed many more when he died than when he lived. And his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel 20 years. Oh. Well, uh, happy uh, or sad uh, post-Easter, uh, post, uh, what do we call it, um, election weekend depending on which way you, you lean. Um, the death of Bob Hawke got me thinking about how much Australia loves rough diamonds. You know that idea, media always use that phrase, when you've got, often it's usually a male who's a bit dodgy, who then comes good. Um, Bob Hawke was kind of a bit like that, wasn't he? Sort of a boozy, beer-drinking larrikin who then went to lead Australia and so a lot of the memories of him were kind of like that. Remember the time when Bob, you know, um, and we love it in sport too, footy players often they're, they're described as, you know, a bit, you know, they've got a, a few troubles off the field but, but they're going to come good, they're the rough diamonds. The tennis players are the same thing, rough diamonds, you know, remember Leighton Hewitt when he started off, we weren't sure if we liked him and then he sort of came good eventually. Well, this morning, as we look at Samson, I think the reason why we kind of like him and remember him fondly, he's in our kids' storybooks, um, which is a bit surprising if you think about some of the key points in the story. Um, it's because he's a bit of a rough diamond. Um, you know, he's the strong man who defeated the Philistines by knocking over the palace. That's kind of how we summarise the Samson story in our head. Uh, there's a lot more to it. And so the reason why I, I, gave, I thought, we'd, let's just do two full chapters, is just to remind you or even tell you, show you for the first time, in case you hadn't looked closely, that the Samson story has a lot more to it. In fact, the previous chapter, which we didn't read, includes a whole lot of things that might surprise you as well about his birth and, and so on. Um. But, you know, I can really see why he's, he's kind of the Ned Kelly of the Old Testament or the Keith Richards 
of Canaan. You know, I, I can see why you, you might like him. It's like this story is written by, you know, a gossip columnist. Uh, the sorts of things that he gets up to and the sorts of things that he says. So um, what, what's going to happen this morning is I, we're going to focus in on mainly on chapter 16, but I want to show you how a prostitute visiting, womanizing, animal cruelty, ruthless murderer points us to Jesus. He's actually a shadow of the Messiah to come. He anticipates in a very real but kind of a bit warped way the future incarnate Son of God. But also, this story shows us a lot about how God's power works through us because we see God's power working famously through Samson, but also some things that he gets wrong about that, things that the Philistines don't really get. And maybe Samson eventually works it out later on, at the end of the story, how God's power actually works. And I think that will say a bit for us about that too. So let's look at this story. And I'm just going to apply as we go um, and, and expand as we go. So, um, But just to give you a bit of background... First of all, he, his birth is, is mysterious. It, it, it starts with a, an angel appearing to his mother and saying, you're actually going to give birth and, um, to this, this son and he's going to be a Nazarite. Um, being a Nazarite meant that he was to live in a special way, set apart for God, to live a holy life. Um, and there was some vows that he had to keep, like he wasn't to drink wine, he wasn't to um, eat grapes and I think... Um, uh, anything fermented, I think, or certain types of vinegar, and also he wasn't to cut his hair. He wasn't to touch uh, dead animal carcasses or dead human bodies either. And all of this was to um, sort of live a life of devotion to God. And there are other famous Nazarites in the Bible. Um, uh, I think Samuel was one. Uh, John the Baptist is a Nazarite, so John the Baptist, when it describes him as looking like, you know, wearing the camel skin and the long hair and all of that, eating the honey... That's the Nazarite life. So um, Samson lived amongst the Philistines, and he, his, first, his first wife is a, a Philistine woman, which shocks us when we read that, um, and he goes against his fa- mother and father's wishes and marries into this foreign, uh, this foreign woman, um, but um, this is all part of God's plan to get Samson in amongst the Philistines and to cause trouble. and to be, He's like a kind of a grenade that God's throwing into the Philistines to really muck them up because they're a, tr- they're a problem. Uh, the, the Philistines, if you don't know, they're, 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 they do animal sacrifice. I mean, these, these are terrible. They're, they're horrible, these, these. I mean, not animal sacrifice. Human sacrifice. <laughs> Baby child sacrifice. Thank you. Um, so they're messed up. And, so, and also, they're worse, the Israelites are mixing with them, and this is causing a problem. So this messed up marriage that, uh, that uh, Samson has with the Philistine woman leads to a series of conflicts with the Philistines. Um, and there's uh, retaliation, 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 and, Phil- and Samson ends up killing lots of Philistines. And the first reading you would have seen, you know, the famous killing, you know, he kills them with the, the jawbone of a donkey. This is, he has a kind of a supernatural strength that Samson has. Um, that everyone knows about and surprises everyone. Maybe he, some people say, you know, Samson may, may not have looked like the Incredible Hulk. He just sort of had this strength. Yeah, yeah and, he, and he is a crazy man, Samson. He, he, 
he, there are a couple of stories of animal cruelty, ripping into lions and he tying 300 foxes tail tail and putting a fiery torch in and setting you know, the Philistines' grain on fire. So even his own people, the people of Judah, hated him as well because they thought, Samson's a real troublemaker and we just want to live peaceably with the Philistines. We don't want... They're stronger than us and we don't want them to get angry with us because they'll kill us. And Samson is really annoying them. So um, even the people of Judah, you know, decide what we, what we should do is just hand him over um, to them. And they try and do that unsuccessfully. And this brings us to the start of chapter 16. Now I'll slow down. And chapter 16 starts with Samson going to a prostitute. This bit was often left out of the kids' storybooks. Um, this is the, the beginning of sort of the end of his, of his journey. As a, he's a judge. We're talking about a, a, holy, a spirit-filled judge of Israel, you know, who God raises up to save Israel. And he starts off chapter 16 going to visit the prostitute. Um, so... He's foolish, and what you see in the story is that he's in Gaza. The Philistines know that he's there um, visiting the prostitute, so they surround the building where he is. And here he is, once again, in a dangerous, messed-up situation. Um, his, his sexual addictions have, have really got him into trouble. Um, he thinks he's super strong and that nothing's ever going to hurt him. And the enemies surround him, and he stays there till the middle of the night. And then here, you know, verse 3 of chapter 16, Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. You know, this is like a real wild man, wild man. He, he thinks his gift from God is maybe just there unconditionally, nothing can hurt him. It doesn't really matter how he lives. His success has gone to his head and made him arrogant and foolish. Then, my, 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 Delilah, he falls in love with this woman called Delilah who becomes his lover. Uh, And the rulers of the Philistines then go, okay, we're going we're gonna to use this, we're going to approach Delilah and use her like a double agent and um, we'll pay her some money to get the secret of Samson's power. Uh, and so if Delilah succeeds at this, then she's going to be not only rich, but she's also going to be famous as a great hero of the Philistines. So um, he, she agrees to this arrangement. And what's hilarious about the story is the way... Delilah, you know, is not very subtle in her... her, her, She definitely didn't learn from James Bond. She just comes out with it bluntly. Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. You know, chapter 16, verse 6. Maybe she thinks he's a bit stupid. Maybe he was a bit stupid. So he, he lies and tells her that he can be tied up with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been tied, then he'll become weak. And so she goes, oh, let's, let's try it. And she gets help from the, from the rulers of the Philistines. And she yells out to him, Samson, the Philistines are on you. And of course, he just breaks free, 
because, you know, it's not doing anything. And she tries again, and he says, oh, no, it should be new ropes. That's what you should be doing. I didn't quite get it right the first time. And it doesn't work again. Samson, the Philistines are on you. So it's a little bit, I mean, it reads a little bit like a hilarious sort of, um, you know, pantomime sort of midday matinee movie or something. He just snaps him like a big of, bit of string. Oh, and then he makes up a third. She tries again. And no, it should be my hair braided into, a, into the loom, tightened with a pin. Samson, you know, again, of course, he just gets out of, because this doesn't really affect him at all. And then she said, you know, they're in a messed up, totally messed up situation here of a relationship. She's using him for, to get rich and famous. He's using her because he's kind of infatuated with her and he, I don't know, he's just, you know, often relationships like that end in kind of people using each other and that's what's going on here. And she starts using her more and more, her sexuality to manipulate him and, and accuses him of making fun of her. How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. And so, you know, you've heard this kind of talk in relationships, you know, this is how people often relate to each other in dysfunctional relationships. They use each other. And if you really loved me, you would dot, dot, dot. She threatens him and he's so entangled with her He's blinded by his infatuation. So he tells her the truth. Verse 17, No razor has ever been used on my head. Because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb, if my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. So, again, with her co-conspirators, the rulers of the Philistines, they carry out this haircutting um, expedition, this plot on Samson, and it works. His strength left him, it says in verse 19. And so she cries out again, Samson, the Philistines are on you. And this time he wakes up, and he must have known what had happened, because if you'd lived your whole life and never cut your hair, and then you wake up in the morning, your hair's cut, you're going to notice that, aren't you? Um, that big weight off your shoulders, literally. Um, but he doesn't seem to think that his strength will, will have left him. And he says in verse 20, I'll just go out before and shake myself free. He's fully confident that uh, it doesn't really matter. He didn't really believe that when it would, was cut off, it would make much of a difference. He had stopped seeing his gift as being from God. Maybe he'd started to think he's just strong. He just is strong. And so this is where we get an important lesson about God's power, which I'm going to try and explain carefully here because we can mishear what I'm saying if we're not careful. But it's about the difference between seeing God's power as magic and seeing God's power as something that God gives of his own free decision. See, magic is what the Philistines thought cause Samson's power. Magic is where if you use a certain formula or recipe like um, saying the magic word abracadabra, wave your wand, then the magic will happen. Or if you mix the frog's legs with the flea and the gnat from the, and you know, the piece of hair from the, and then poof, the magic happens. 
So they thought that what was going on here was some kind of magic that Samson had to follow the recipe and he, his power would be there. And Samson had sort of thought a little bit this way as well, though he thought differently. He, I think he seemed to just think that he was magical, you know, that he just had this special power um, that just was this strange gift that he had. He is the magic. It didn't matter how he lived his life. But they weren't really thinking about God's role in all of this. God's power is completely different to magic because it depends not on a recipe, on a special formula, but in a way, it depends on our heart relationship with Him, with God, and a trust in God, and it depends on just God's own decision-making. God is no magic genie that we can just summon up and He would do exactly what we say. See, if you have no relationship with God at all, if you completely reject God and you have no interest in God, it's very unlikely that God's Holy Spirit will work power in you and through you. If you reject Jesus, then sooner or later, in God's own timing, His Spirit will stop working through you. What mattered in this story was not so much that Samson's hair had been cut, but that the Lord had left him, perhaps just temporarily. He'd stood back and watched things unfold. Maybe God wanted to teach Samson a lesson about where his strength came from. This often happens to us in a time of weakness, doesn't it? Samson had assumed that God's strength would always be, or this special strength, that God-given strength would always be there. didn't matter how many people he killed. doesn't matter how many times he broke the Nazarite laws. doesn't matter how many women he slept with. didn't matter. Uh, he just thought he would always be strong because he's a strong person. And he'd forgotten about God altogether. In the whole of the Samson story, we only see him talking to God two times. One of the times... Is we had in the first reading is when he's complaining about being thirsty. He basically has no relationship with God at all. But God's divine power cannot be gained in us through following special rules as if by magic. Nor can God's divine power be lost in us as if we don't follow God's rules properly either. God's power in us is up to God. See, we can have this kind of pseudo-Christian magic theology, which, is, which goes like this. If I, we think to ourselves, if I just do certain things, God will bless me. If I um, go to church, you know, most, most weeks and go to my community group and read the Bible a certain amount of times a day and read, pray a certain amount of times, it's like I'm summoning up some special magic genie God and he is going to bless me with the things that I expect in my life, whether it's you know, um, a great job or the election to go a certain way or, you know, uh, a career or fame or whatever the thing is that you really want to see happen. Um, but also it can go the other way. 
sometimes many Christians have this magic genie theology and we think, the reason I don't have blessings in my life is because I'm such a bad sinner. I haven't followed the magic formula, so God is not giving me the power. And we can also think a bit like Samson, that at one point in our life, we felt really blessed by God, so therefore the rest of our life will be really blessed by God. It doesn't matter how we live. And then we're shocked when something doesn't go the way we thought it would go. And we can get very angry with God, disillusioned. Our faith in God should not be transactional. That's kind of effectively what we're doing when we're using magic genie theology. We're, we're, we're having a transactional faith because we're saying, if I do this, God will do this. And that's, you know, that's no relationship. You don't have a relationship with people like that, do you? Hopefully not. That'd be to use each other. We should serve God out of our relationship with him, out of our love for him. Now, verse 21 of chapter 16 tells us what the gruesome Philistines did to Samson. They gouged out his eyes, that bit's often left out of the kids' books as well, took him to Gaza, bound him with bronze shackles and made him um, grind the grain in the prison, doing the job of an animal. And then it says in verse 22, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. The Philistines believed in this kind of magic and they believed that in a God that was conditional. They believed, oh, well, his hair's chopped off, now Samson's Israelite God is not going to do anything because the magic's broken, the spell's gone. But, you know, whether or not the Nazarite vow had been broken or not, that doesn't stop God from doing what he wants to do. And in fact, God has a habit, as we've seen in the book of Judges, of being faithful when we're lacking faith. Paul's, Paul, the apostle, writes in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are fa- he's, he's, he's quoting a saying, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And we need to learn this concept from this story, from the whole book of Judges, that the fact that Samson's hair is growing back isn't what is going to make him strong again. Rather, what we've learned from Judges is that God's power isn't restricted by Samson's obedience to the Nazarite law. Uh, the, The Philistines are a bit overconfident in this idea. Actually, God can do what he wants. And he can bless people if he wants to or not. So will Samson get his strength back? Well, interestingly, what we see now is Samson actually, right at the end of his life, turning back to God and showing faith in God. The Philistines, they gather at the temple of Dagon and they, um, which is, and they offer sacrifices to their god Dagon because they believe their god Dagon has defeated the Israelite god. And, and they shouted for Samson to be brought in and to perform for them like a circus performer. And he, and he agrees to this. And um, this is humiliating for the Israelites. Here is Yahweh's failed, spirit-empowered judge acting like a circus clown. Samson has been betrayed, captured, tortured, 
humiliated, but he hasn't finished yet, being Israel's anointed, spirit-empowered rescuer. And he asks to be put between two pillars, and they allow him to do this. Verse 26, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. And the temple was filled with a big crowd of 3,000 Philistine men and women, the rulers, people crammed on the roof to bow down to Dagon and to watch and laugh at Samson. And then for only the second time in the whole of the story of Samson, he prays, um, or we get a record of him praying. At this time, the prayer is a lot better. I mean, uh, the first prayer was just a whining prayer, and some people say, oh, even Samson's prayer here is problematic because all he wants to do is, you know, take revenge. But what we see is that he's learned his lesson. Because in this prayer, he acknowledges where his strength comes from. Verse 28, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me, with one blow, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. So he's acknowledging where the strength is coming from. Like the prodigal son, he has come home to the father and he's saying, well, I just need your grace, God. I just need it. Please, please love me even though I haven't loved you. I can't do this in my own strength, only in yours. And then what happens next from verse 29 to 30 is written in that same brevity as a lot of these judges' stories when the kind of kill happens or the action happens. Verse 29, Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and on all the people on it. in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. Full stop. And this is his most important act. This is his great act of faith, which resulted in his death and the death of thousands of other people. And he fulfills his role as Israel's rescuer in a kind of a messed up way. Now, you would be right in thinking, if you're starting to see lots and lots of echoes or more um, uh, shadows or foretelling of Jesus' own death, And, of course, it's a little bit different. Samson's death is different to Jesus' death in many ways. Samson finds himself dying in the temple of Dagon with his eyes gouged out and he's there because he's lived this kind of messed up, unfaithful life where he's found himself in the wrong company doing terrible things. Um, Whereas Jesus stayed faithful right up until the end, didn't he? Faithful to God right up until his death on the cross. When Jesus hung on the cross, he was the only one who was not a criminal. And also, Samson did achieve something great for Israel in killing all those Philistines, uh, but that was only a temporary stopgap measure. Um, There would be more enemies to come for Israel. Whereas Jesus' death achieved permanent victory over sin and death. But there's lots of ways that Samson's death is very, very similar to Jesus. They're both betrayed by a friend. For Samson, it was Delilah. For Jesus, it was Judas. 
Both were handed over to Gentile oppressors. Both were tortured and chained and put on public display to be mocked. Both were asked to perform, although Jesus doesn't actually do that. Both died with their arms outstretched. And you might think, oh, that's a bit far-fetched, and probably is. But the early church fathers made a lot about that, how Samson put his arms out between the pillars and it looks a bit like Jesus. I don't know. I'll mention it. And, and both appeared to be defeated and yet then actually had the victory in their death. Um, Samson crushed the Philistines and the God of Dagon. Jesus crushed Satan. Jesus crushed Satan on the cross by taking away the penalty for our idolatry. We were all once Dagon worshippers. We all deserved to die in that temple, but Jesus' sacrifice took that penalty away. And this meant that Satan could no, no longer have any claim over God's people. And Jesus' death also removed the power of sin in us. He made it possible for the Holy Spirit to smash the idols in our heart. The, sermon, the story of Samson is like an overture of the gospel of Jesus. When the story of the Bible comes to its climax in the coming of Jesus, we see God's anointed saviour who remains faithful and yet becomes weak to become strong. In the case of Samson, we said at the very end of the chapter 16, he dies and his brothers and his father's family come and bury him in the tomb and his life is ended. But Jesus' story does not finish in the tomb. He would resurrect from the tomb and his rule as God's saviour would continue into eternity. So as we finish this Samson story, let us be unexpectedly inspired by this crazy man, Samson, to be disciples of Jesus who follow this pattern of strength in weakness. Let us be people who realise our own unfaithfulness, don't follow magic genie theology, and live in the forgiveness of mer and mercy of, and grace that only God can provide through Jesus. Let us be dependent on God and draw on his strength that flows out of a relationship with him. Amen.